the first time I came to Sydney was at Pastor Phil and Chris's invitation. So I feel really honored and excited to be here. We took a big chance and brought our children ages 11, 9, and uh, 6. Abby, 6, right? 6. Yeah. And we, we, uh, we, put them, we put them in another part of the airplane uh, with a babysitter and brought them over. And uh, <laughs> that's the truth. <laughs> that's for real. <laughs> Uh, and uh, we, had, we had a great last couple of days, and I was telling them, I was like, you're going to really love uh, Pastor Phil and Chris Pringle. And they were like, well, why would we like them? You know, because my kids, they meet a lot of cool pastors and stuff. So I was like, you just get around them. They are so loving and nice and kind and genuine. And um, plus, they'll probably put a gift or two in your hotel room. And so they were into that part. <laughs> But, man, we love you guys, and I promise you, because some of y'all are real skeptical, and all, you know, like, like he just has to say that in the introduction to a sermon. That's what the speakers do, is honor them. I do not come across the world for anybody that I don't deeply love. I got my own gig at home. I do not need somewhere to preach. I love coming here. I love your pastors. Let's give it up for Pastor Phil and Chris Pringle. Come on, y'all sound sleepy. And did you call Mark a pocket rocket? No. Indeed. What a blessing. All right. All right. Well, are y'all, what, what is it, what, what's it like? What's the atmosphere in this service like? You guys... So if I really go and put myself out there and start preaching hard like I'm in North Carolina, what would happen? Show me what would happen if I was preaching like Easter was just around the corner. How would you act? How would you act in Waronga? Amen. I, I want to do something. I did not ask permission for this, but hey, you know, when you get invited back four times, you just start assuming your family. I want to preach a priester message, like pre-Easter, all right? And the title I want to use on this is, I want to talk about, you going to write this title down? I can tell if you think I'm going to say anything worth your attention by whether or not you have a pen out right now or a phone. I want to talk about unexpected resurrection. And I want to talk about it from a chapter of the Bible that has captivated me in the last uh, several weeks and some things that God has been showing me. I hope this doesn't sound bad when I say it, because I've been a pastor for almost 12 years now, and I've been preaching since I was 16. And I started preaching right after I gave my life to Christ. So I've been reading the Bible a long time and studying it, and it's not that I'm lazy or haven't read it, but I feel like I'm falling in love with the Word of God again. And I, I feel like I am seeing some things that I never saw before. And I think that's the point. I think that's the point. I think a lot of times our relationship with God is not regulated by his revelation, but by our recognition of his revelation. What I mean by that is it is amazing how many things can be right in front of your face and you not recognize them. Touch somebody say, you don't even know who you're sitting next to. <laughs> if you did, you would sit up straight. 
Now give me a little more volume on this mic because I'm going to do a lot of preaching this week and I want to make sure I say, how many of y'all are coming on, on conference on Monday? If the person next to you does not have their hands up, I want you to look at them judgmentally. But I want to go to, I want to, go to Luke 24 and uh, it's kind of a long passage. I have this bad habit that I can't just read my scripture without stopping and interjecting all kinds of comments on it. I am not going to do that today. Pray for me that I could just use restraint and just because it's a long passage and you don't have long and, and we don't have long together today. So I want to be very, very uh, judicious with my time. Does that even make sense? Did I use that word correctly? I want to be a good steward of my time today, Pastor Ryan. And so pray that I would just read this and not even, not even stop and comment. And I just want to go from Luke 24, verse 13 through whatever we feel like stopping on. Let's go. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles. Somebody say seven. Okay, seven is the number. I'm not going to do this after this verse. Seven. <laughs> it just stuff starts talking to me, man. That Bible just starts jumping off my iPad into my spirit. Gets all up in my vocal cords. Starts spitting in this microphone. Makes me want to grab it like Drake and start preaching to you for a minute. Seven miles or 11 kilometers, but if you put it in the metric system, it screws up the thing, because seven, it messes up the Bible, because seven, seven is the number of completion and perfection. And so we're seeing something symbolic here, and um, why I wanted to use this passage is because it's Resurrection Sunday, and Jesus is on the road, but, but he's appeared, let's, let's just keep reading, verse 14, they we, have, we haven't found out who they are yet, okay. They, the two people that were walking along this road, they, everybody say they. they. No, say it like I said it, they. they. Okay. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened, about the mocking and the flogging and the sentencing of the one that they hoped was the savior of the world. And as they're talking, and discussing these things as while uh, along the way, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. And he asked them, what y'all talking about? And they stood still, their faces downcast. And one of them named Cleopas, I gave him a nickname for our congregation. I've been calling him Cleo just for short because you know y'all like to shorten everybody's name over here. For real, I walked off the plane, hi, and my name is Stephen, and somehow my N on my name didn't make it through customs because every single person in this country calls me Steve. Just, just took my N right off my name like my mama didn't even give it to me. I want my consonant back. Y'all are politely laughing at me tonight. Now. So, so, so we've got one name. We don't know who the other person is. We're never going to get the name. But, but, but Cleo speaks up and asks Jesus, who he doesn't know is Jesus yet, just somebody who is interjecting himself into the, the conversation along the road, just somebody who has randomly walked up and gotten all up in the middle of their conversation, like Jesus is prone to do, because sometimes he just will 
wedge himself up into the ordinary common situations of life and not really announce it, but just kind of slip in the middle of a conversation. And Cleo wants to know, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem? I find it hilarious that he is asking the one who made heaven and earth if he's a visitor. But anyway, we're going to skip that. Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? So they are telling the one whom these things happened to what happened to him. They are explaining to God about God. You've never tried to do this before. You've never tried to explain to God how his plan for your life should work out but that's exactly what Cleo is doing and so Jesus looks up and starts messing with Cleo Jesus wants to know in verse 19 what things and then they start explaining to Jesus about Jesus about Jesus of Nazareth the Bible is so cool for those of you who think the Bible is boring I would suggest that you might be boring because there's nothing boring about the Bible not if you really read it what things he asked about Jesus of Nazareth they replied he was a prophet powerful in word and deed before God and all the people the chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him but we had hope that he was the the one who was going to redeem Israel and what is more it is the third day since all this took place we should have filled them with expectation because the whole time Jesus was on earth he was telling them I'm going down but on the third day if you tear this temple down I'll raise it back up the whole time he was here it was about the third day it's the third day since all this took place and the women said they saw him they went to the tomb early this morning, but they didn't find his body, and we don't really believe it. It sounded crazy to us. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive, and then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. I would uh, recommend that as the funniest book verse in the whole Bible, that these two men who are looking at Jesus and don't know it's Jesus, are talking about how the women did not see Jesus. Because sometimes it's really easy to recognize how other people are missing what's right in front of them. And me meanwhile, anyway, I'm going to read the rest of my passage. And he said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. And as they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them and when he was at the table with them he took bread gave thanks broke it and began to give it to them then their eyes were open and they recognized him he disappeared from their sight <laughs> so we need to talk about this for a little while he disappeared from their sight when they finally recognized who he was yet they didn't recognize him along the road and so what I've come to conclude is that a lot of the things in our lives that happen to us cannot be understood while they are in progress. The perspective is only granted after the fact. 
some of the things we go through, believing that there is a reason for everything because we know that God is wise and loving and all these church things that we say does not diminish the disappointment that we feel or the confusion that we must experience at certain miles along our own seven-mile journey. And while Jesus is frustrated with these two travelers because they are slow to believe what has been written about the Messiah and when things did not turn out the way they expected things to turn out, they are headed to Emmaus. Let's talk about that for a moment because being Resurrection Sunday and all, Jesus has just gotten up out of the tomb. The women were the ones who were there with the spices. Jesus does not appear directly to these women at this point in time. But now he's only got 40 days. Everybody say 40 days. Don't mumble it under your breath. Just shout it out. 40 days. 40 days to get the word out. 40 days to convince them with signs and proofs. 40 days to show himself alive, risen from the dead with all power in his hand. 40 days to let them know that death does not hold me and the grave did not defeat me. 40 days to let them know I did what I said I was going to do. 40 days to show them that when, that when sin had done its worst and when shame seemed to be at its best, I triumphed over them with a cross. With the very emblem of death, I defeated death. And he's only got 40 days to get the word out. So I would expect him at this point because the Bible says, it was on that same day that he took a, a walk with these two travelers along a road to a village called Emmaus. I'm expecting that Jesus is, is, is in his haste to get the word out about to hold a press conference to let the world know, come on, because we only got 40 days before he's taken up to the right hand of God. We've only got 40 days until he's no longer here in bodily form. So if he's only got 40 days to get the job out, he's going to need to meet with Zuckerberg, and he's going to need to get with some people who have some serious social media clout. He's going to need some influencers to help post about him. And here he goes, watch this, taking a walk along the road with two people that are going in the wrong direction. See, the Holy Spirit has been promised to fall in Jerusalem. But Emmaus is not in Jerusalem. So these two, whoever they are, Cleo and Mrs. Cleo, I don't know. Some scholars think it was his wife. Nobody really knows. The Bible doesn't say because that's not what's important. It's really not important who the two travelers were. It's important who showed up to talk to them. And so Jesus, you got to love this now, and this is going to offend some of your theology. Because you've always taught that as long as I am pursuing God, or maybe you've heard this taught before, as long as I am following God's will for my life, as long as I am pursuing after his presence, as long as I am headed in the direction of his instruction, he will be there along the way with me. But now I'm watching Jesus and I'm confused because Jesus is walking with two travelers who are headed in the wrong direction. And here's what I wanted to tell you. We don't have a God who will only walk with you when you are walking in the direction of his will for your life. We have a Savior who is so full of grace and compassion that he will chase you down even when you're headed in the wrong direction. Is anybody grateful? I feel like preaching. I feel like preaching. 
Because there have been some times in my life that I had my back turned on God, but I found out grace will chase you down. Grace will not let you walk away, even if you want to, even if you try to. Some of you tried to stop believing in God, but somewhere in your heart, there was a grace that wouldn't let you go. There was a voice that wouldn't stop speaking. There was a hand. I don't know if you've ever been to the Holy Land, but one thing that was funny to me when I went, because you asked to see certain sites, and if you get an honest tour guide, an honest tour guide, they will tell you in a lot of the different places, and all of you who have been can back me up, different pastors, and, and, and Pastor Mark, you can back me up, they will say, we think this may be where this event happened. And when I asked them to see the village, the Emmaus village when I went, because I wanted to see this, this place where they're walking to, which is seven miles from Jerusalem, I wanted to see it for myself. And they said, well, no one really knows where it was. So you got to think about this. And this is going to help you for your life. I promise you there's a reason I'm telling you all this. I'm not just jet lag, just thinking <laughs> stream of consciousness. I, I, really am, I, I really am going somewhere with this. That Jesus on Resurrection Sunday with 40 days until his ascension decides that instead of a press conference, he'll take a walk and he'll follow two people we've never heard of before to a place where we don't even know where it is today. A village called Emmaus. And maybe the reason this doesn't make sense to our minds is because we are so destination focused. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, and not necessarily geographically speaking, but like different places in our life that we want to get. It could be married. It could be parenting. It, it could be a certain income level. I remember certain amounts of money that I thought if I made that amount of money, I would never, ever have any sadness in my heart again about anything. <laughs> and um, what happens to you sometimes in life is that you, you get to a certain destination where you thought there would be fulfillment or satisfaction and you get it and and, and when you you sometimes get what you want and you don't even want what you've got you realize that maybe he's not the god of the destination what is jesus trying to show me on resurrection sunday by the fact that he is following two travelers who are going the wrong way i love that about him they are leaving the place where they were told to stay put to receive the promise of the Holy Spirit. They are going in the opposite direction because of their disappointment. And Jesus goes, I think I'll walk with them. See, you don't get a lot of amens when you preach like this. Because it's not really religious thinking to think like that. It's not, it's not, it not only is it not religious, it's not logical. It's not logical that Jesus would walk the wrong way with somebody, especially if he's only got 40 days. I'm driving my point home because I want you to know he's not just the God of the destination, he's the God of the detour. So you might even be going the wrong way, away from the promise of God for your life today. And maybe that's the place where his presence becomes most apparent is sometimes when 
you've been the most disappointed. He, he's, he's not the God of when I get there. He's not the God of when I no longer struggle with this secret sin that even my wife doesn't know about. He's the God of the detour. Do a little Bible study sometime, okay? Go, go do a little Bible study of all the things that Jesus did in places that he wasn't even supposed to be. Go do a study of all the things that he did that happened along the way. Go do a study of the fact that when he fed the multitudes with five loaves and two fish, how many have heard of that miracle before? If you've ever been anywhere near a Sunday school class, you've heard of the five loaves and the two fish. I, 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 I was interested to find out that he wasn't even trying to do a sermon that day. Huh? He was trying to go on a vacation. Look it up in your Bible. Come back and talk to me about it. Jesus wasn't even trying to talk to anybody that day. He was sad. John the Baptist had just been beheaded. He was trying to get away from people. Here come people. And one of the greatest miracles and the most well-known miracles, I'm preaching to somebody right now because some of God's greatest activity in your life will be not when you get there, but even when you're headed away. I, I, I'm not suggesting... <laughs> Please let me clarify this because some of y'all are going to screw up your life and act like I told you to do it and pervert my message. I'm not suggesting that you willfully walk away from God. I mean, the best, the best case scenario is you stay in Jerusalem. But even if you don't, there is a risen Savior who will chase you down along a dusty Emmaus road and bust up in your conversation and say, what are you talking about? and bust up in your discouragement and say, what are you sad about? And bust up in your midnight hour when it's just you and your pillow and your tears and show up in the detours of life. How many of you are glad that he's the God of detours? I don't preach like most preachers preach. I, I don't. I don't look for the people who know how they look like they know when to say amen. Or, you know, when I call out the Bible verse, they already know, you know, I say turn to John 4 and they go, woman at the well. <laughs> I look for Cleo when I preach. I look for Cleo when I, I believe, I believe that God is looking for Cleo in this room today. For, for somebody who is on a detour right now. And, and the, thing, the thing that had them leaving Jerusalem was it didn't go the way it was supposed to go. It didn't turn out the way it was supposed to turn out. You know how I know that's why they left? It's in verse 20. Can you put verse 20 back up again, please? I know y'all are ready to throw all these scriptures up again because you're the, yeah, they're, they're the greatest. No, I think it's 21, actually. I'm sorry about that. Yeah, that's it. Everybody read the first four words with me. But we had hope. Read it again. But we had hope. What's the key word? But we Try again. But we hoped. Now, any hope that you had was not really hope. I'm going to explain that. Can I preach for like 20 minutes and 10 seconds about this? 20 minutes and 10 seconds. I came all the way across the world, and y'all won't let me preach 20 minutes. All right. One Bible verse that I really love says that 
we have this hope. It's not just any hope. Because you can throw the word hope around. I think a lot of people have the concept of hope mixed up with the concept of wish. And they're not the same. When you say we have this hope, the writer of Hebrews says it's like an anchor for the soul. And the thing about an anchor is, and anybody, anybody in here who, who, who disagrees with this, you're not arguing with the Bible, you're arguing with physics. The anchor is not able to engage its purpose until it goes down to the, it's not a trick question, to the what? To the bottom. So if the anchor cannot fulfill its purpose until it is get engaged at the bottom, what does, if, if what the author of Hebrews intended for us to know about hope is analogous to an anchor, what does that tell us about this hope? It means that it's not even really hope until it's been to the bottom. And what's so interesting about Jesus' disciples is they were surprised when he died. Even though he told them over and over again, this does not end well. Even though he told them over and over again, I'm going to be handed over. Even though he told them over and over again, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. Even though he fully prepared them for this incident at the cross, they were shocked when it actually happened. And they were humiliated when it actually happened. And when it actually happened, they all left him. And so now you got Cleo and his companions saying, hey, we thought this was the one. We had hoped he was the one. And they are standing in front of hope, and they can't even see hope for what it is because they didn't have their hope in him. They had their hope in how they thought it would happen. Have you put your hope in the one who promised it? Or have you put your hope in the path? Because God never promised you a path that would look like this. God never promised you that the path would lead straight to the promise. God never promised you that the path wouldn't include a Via Dolorosa. God never promised you that the path wouldn't include some places of pressure. God never promised you that the path wouldn't include some disappointment. God never promised you that everybody who started on the path with you would stay on the path with you. What he promised you is that this hope would be an anchor at the bottom. And so now I'm encouraged because I find out that he's not just the God of the dream, but he's the God of the dead end. That's, that's where they started walking away when it looked like the end. That's where they went back to Emmaus. I'm assuming this is where their home was. I'm assuming that after watching the events of the crucifixion, they're left with no other options but to turn around and go home. And so all of a sudden, here comes Jesus asking an innocent question. What y'all talking about? That's how we would say it at home. You just have to translate it into whatever version of that you would say. What's up? What's good? Yeah, we were just talking about this thing we thought. <laughs> it sounds stupid now to say it. You know, we, we, all, we all have these 
We all have these things that we had hoped. And I'm going to break it down real simple because I, I know this isn't the crucifixion of Jesus Christ level, but some of y'all had hope for different behavior out of your teenagers than you're getting right now. Don't say nothing right now because they're sitting on the same row with you and I don't want them to know that they're your disappointment. <laughs> that wouldn't be uplifting for their spirits, but I had hoped. I, I had hoped I would be married by now. I had hoped that the man I would marry would be more like the man I dated. I don't know what changed when he finally got me. I know I'm preaching good when there's like awkward laughter, no <laughs> cheering, clapping, note taking, anything. Just people violently shaking with their iPhone in their hands, not even sure what to type in on their. <laughs> we had hoped. And, and Jesus, he doesn't interrupt any of it. He lets, them, he lets them say everything they want to say. And then the Bible says, this is the craziest part, after he rebuked them a little bit and started preaching to them a little bit, and they got where they were going, he acted like he was going to go further, and he really wasn't going further. But see, here's something that Jesus knew about Emmaus that they did not know about Emmaus. To them, Emmaus was their final destination. For Jesus, Emmaus was not their final destination. It was their turning point. Yeah, that was good, wasn't it? She, she's on it. For them, the place that represented the end of their journey was the place that Jesus saw as their new beginning. So they get there, and Cleo is interested now, and he's not really sure who he's talking to, but he wants to talk to him a little while longer. He's not really sure who this is, but whoever it is, he's got my attention. He's not really sure what this means yet, and he doesn't fall on his face and begin to repent of his lack of faith, but instead he says something very common. He says, come on inside and get something to eat. Now, I love the next part. I need to show you this. It says that when Jesus went in to stay with them, verse 30, while he was at the table with them, he took bread. Now, this is crazy because it's not even Jesus' house. But when he comes in, I need to tell you this, because some of you think you're just going to invite Jesus in your life, and he's going to stand in the foyer like he's going to walk in the front door and wait there or go hide in the closet and only come out with you on Sundays when you want to come to church and get a little Holy Ghost dust over your week so maybe you get a raise or somebody will pay you a compliment. But Jesus comes into Cleo's house and starts just taking over. Watch this. He takes the bread, blesses it, breaks it, and gives it to them takes the bread, blesses it, breaks it, and gives it to them. Takes the bread, blesses it, breaks it, and gives it to them. And the Bible says that at that point, not when he was preaching, not while they were walking, but while he was giving them bread, they saw who he was. Could it be possible that we look for God in the dramatic but he shows up in the details. Holly, they ain't helping me. I'm too tired to be preaching to a quiet church. I'm going to prove this to you. They were not convinced by the women's report that the tomb was empty. That didn't convince them. But now all of a sudden, Jesus is, is acting like a server at a restaurant and they see him in that? 
How could they have seen him in something so ordinary but missed him in something so spectacular? Maybe this says something about the way God wants to reveal resurrection power in our lives. Maybe it doesn't always have to be in something so dramatic. Maybe it's not always in the earthquake or in the wind or in the fire. Uh, an Old Testament prophet named Elijah, he found out that sometimes it's just in something as simple as a whisper that you see who he is. Sometimes it's in moments that you didn't even expect. Remember, they weren't praying for Jesus to come and reveal himself. They weren't expecting to see the Son of God. They were just going home to get something to eat because in their minds, it was over. And then Jesus does this and they see him. What could they have seen when he took the bread and blessed it and broke it? and gave it that they didn't see while they were walking. I wondered about that. I wondered about that until I thought about the motions themselves that he took it and blessed it. And when he broke it, he broke it like this and gave it to them. What would they have seen when he gave them the bread that they didn't see while they walked along the road? What would they have seen? I've got something on my left wrist. You can't see it unless you get close to me, but I want you to see this. This is a, uh, this is a scar on my left wrist, and I wish, I wish the story behind it was cooler than it is, but I just got cut by some glass when I was a little boy. And, and my mom says it was dramatic. I wasn't there. Um, I was there, but um, <laughs> I was only two. So I just have to take her word for the details of it. But you can see it's kind of like got a Harry Potter vibe to it. And it's a little lightning bolt looking thing. And, but it's just from a glass dog bowl. That's all it was. I, I was playing outside and, and I picked up a dog bowl that was apparently made of glass and it cut my wrist. And my mom says it was... It was terrible, and the scar is still there today. You know my son the other day, my 11-year-old son? He said something to me. He, he said, Daddy, when did you get that scar? And it was crazy to me because how many times have I held that little punk? <laughs> and he never saw something. How many, how many of his diapers did I change these hands, actually not that many. Holly changed most of them. <laughs> How could something have been there all along that he didn't see until he looked for it? And he walked with them, and they didn't know who he was. And he preached to them but they didn't recognize him through his words. They saw him when they saw where his wounds were, when they saw where the nails were. They didn't see him because the cloud parted from heaven and a voice said, this is my son. They didn't see him because something spectacular happened in the sky. They saw him 
where the wounds were. They saw him in their disappointment. They saw him at the dead end of their disappointed dream. I don't want to be too dramatic today. I don't want to be too sentimental about it. But some of you are looking for God in the spectacular. And he's trying to show you himself in the scars. In that place. In the place where you feel like you failed. In the place where you feel like you're so weird that nobody could ever love you like you are. 